Welcome to Healthy Conversations, an eHealthSpace.org podcast. Our guest today is Marion Shearer, Chief Executive at Melbourne East General Practice Network. In this recording from the Healthy Nation Conference earlier this year, Marion spoke with eHealthSpace.org editor Mark Jones about her experience as a first wave PCEHR site. She also discussed how clinicians are responding to the PCHR and the electronic records benefits. Marion Shira, thanks for joining us. Your presentation here this morning was on uh, preparing for the PCEHR. Of course, you were awarded a grant for the first wave sites back in October. How's progress? Progress is uh, developing um, at that pace that you would expect for a program that, from a national perspective, a national vision for starting in July 2012. So uh, our project at this point is looking at the development, preparing, testing, learning in order to be ready for that point. Mm. So to date, uh, we have, we've looked at the, the national governance that's needed, we've looked at some of the local governance that's needed, uh, we're mindful of the, the national consistency that's, that um, will need to be coordinated plus needing flexibility to respond and have something that works quite locally and is flexible to work quite locally. So give us a sense of the size of the the network of GPs uh, in your area and I guess as part of that, how would you evaluate their readiness for e-health? That's a good question. So for Melbourne East GP Network, we're looking at a community of over 500,000 people, 145 general practice sites, Mm -hmm. over 600 GPs. And working with that, a number of other health services. So uh, Eastern Health Hospital Network, St Vincent's Network, um, and a number of community health services and a lot of private allied health providers. So that's the environment that we're working in and that's what we're looking for with developing the PCEHR. So uh, from this perspective... Our GPs, we've been working with the GPs for a number of years about getting ready for e-health and our journey started probably in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s and has grown to a point where it's been quite an intensive piece of work over the past few years. So getting them ready within their practices, making sure that they're uh, they're supported to have the best uh, computerised records possible to, uh, to be able to communicate and have robust mechanisms to communicate and share information. Mm. So when it came to the first wave site announcement, as I said, back in October, um, what had you done to that point and, and what did it take to sort of get GPs to a state of being able to say, we're going to be quite um, aggressive, if you like, in terms of um, really pursuing this e-health agenda? The GPs had already been working with us in a smaller project around electronic health records and sharing electronic health records. So we were actually piloting some of this in a small way, but in a targeted way. We were working in aged residential care facilities with uh, a couple of facilities, a couple of general practices, and testing how to do shared electronic health records in that environment, Mm. learning about the process of sharing records, um, the IT side of it, as well as the change side of it, as well as how to engage the community, how to um, define what consent is and how to enable the community to understand and consent to the sharing of information between providers. 
that's been part of our history of getting ready. Before that, we've done a lot of work with the GPs and their specific um, IT systems to assist them to, um, to clean their data and have it as ready as possible so that what they're sharing with others is up-to-date information. So having uh, good records with um, all of those fields, the demographic fields completed and as much of the, uh, the information ready to send in that HL7 standards format. Mm. And um, it doesn't matter who you talk to, basically this entire... Um, PCEHR landscape from a national perspective is very complex. There's plenty of challenges. What are you coming across in terms of hurdles that um, you're helping to steer the organisation through? I'm not sure that it's a hurdle. Well, not yet. But anticipating that the engagement of the clinicians mm. is paramount to being able to uh, deliver on this project. Um, 80% of the community sees general practice every year. It's, um, it's the ideal place to start to actually prepare for this project. If we get general practice engaged, then the, um, it increases the chances of success for the community and for the other health providers and, and hospital networks. So the challenge there is the engagement, getting the GPs on board, being able to assist them with the paperwork, the red tape process of getting identifiers into general practice, helping the general practice to have its organisation identifier, helping the GPs to have their own practitioner identifier, and then with that infrastructure being able to identify the individual health identifiers for the, for the specific people, the community concerned. We've got to get that right. We've got to get that preparation happening so mm. that it's ready. The next step and the next challenge would be about communication and um, getting that communication message out, being able to build on a national communication message and yet being able to work quite locally with it as well. Mm. We need to get the timing of that communication out. Mm. That's right. We can't jump in too quickly with information about here as a PCEHR before it's ready, before the general practice is ready. Mm. Uh, all of that has to be worked up together yep. in, in that timely way. And how are you managing the balance between keeping a, a patient-centric view of the PCEHR versus inevitably the mechanics and the, you know, the, the standards and the, you know, the formatting and all the technical stuff that, that comes along with it? Actually, that can be quite a, a tension, can't it? It can indeed. And um, uh, one of the things that we're looking to to be able to do is to, to manage some of the technical difficulties and keep them in the background so that we support the practitioners, we, we work up the technical aspects of it, but we don't want it to interfere with daily the daily uh, experience of a person receiving their care. Um, we want it to enhance that. So at this point in time it is working in the background, smoothing out Mm. Um, the technical, and then looking at the key messages around the uh, for the person, for the individual, the patient, the client, the consumer, um, focusing on what are the benefits. Use cases are important to this project. We're articulating some key target areas. So in aged care, we're focusing on the residents in aged care facilities. What are the benefits to them? 
what can they gain out of this process? How can this information assist them? We're looking at an after-hours care environment. Mm. What are the benefits specifically for the individuals? And thereby focusing in on, on the individual, mm. um, building up their benefits, building up the, the understanding, ensuring that um, if we create expectations that we can actually meet that but to have that in quite a balanced way. It's quite a complicated change management process, what you've just described. Uh, Where are you taking your cues? Are there international examples that you've looked at or um, uh, locally? um, How are you working with other service providers in the space? Yes, Um, all of that. And just listening to one of the previous speakers this morning, uh, he was talking about change, the whole process of change. Uh, 80% was change, 20% was technology Mm. and that's exactly what we're seeing. So we're looking at the international experience and and working with some local projects around how to do this. Mm. Um, The the fact that we've got the experience we had before with the small pilot, that's really informing how to engage the uh, residents of an aged care facility, how to obtain consent. It's not just that resident that may need to provide consent. It Mm. may be that it needs a family meeting and more people need to be involved. So those projects and those local experiences as well as the the national and international experiences are extremely important to Mm. ensure that we we, uh, avoid as many pitfalls as possible. Mm. It's not going to be easy. Mm. No matter what what it is that's coming, it's going to be a challenge. Mm. It's it's going to be difficult but if we can build on the knowledge that's there now and keep sharing those experiences we might be able to reduce some of that pain well yeah so how are you going to deal with you know inevitable failures if i can call it that or challenges um you know as as inevitably we we trial things and we figure out what works and what doesn't work um one of the part of the hysteria around this is that um, elements of the media can jump onto it and make life difficult. How do we how do we position the the, the experience that you're having in, in in a productive way? We are one of three sites with the Wave One implementation, yeah. and and in that we're able to draw on experiences across those three sites. So with uh, with Brisbane and with Newcastle, um, and with our own experiences. Uh, we've each got something that's different to the development that we can draw on and learn Mm. together. What we're planning at this point is around the communication and what are those key messages that we need to get out to um, assist the practitioners that need to be engaged as well as the community about... um, the actual product of the personally controlled electronic health record, what it offers, what's the security around it, what are the privacy aspects that are needed and the assurances so that people can have confidence in that. We're going to need to monitor that very closely as we we go along Mm. um, and we're going to need to respond quite carefully when we do have um, some of those challenges that emerge. (laughs) And we want to work cooperatively Uh, across the three sites so that we can handle some of those messages when they occur. Mm. And uh, 
just in a bit more detail, how do you plan to work with the Wave 2 sites and um, what procedures or you know, what communication lines have been opened up? Uh, with the announcement of the Wave 2 sites in just in the last couple of weeks, I think it was, uh, uh, one of the sites in particular is going to work very closely. So in Queensland, one uh, of the sites is building very closely onto our model. Um, in Victoria, there's... Um, the particular Wave 2 site will be focusing in on uh, pharmacy and prescriptions and that's going to be an area, a real targeted area that will add value. Mm. So it's it's picking up um, an area of expertise that will add value to the whole learning experience about what's needed. At this point in time, our Wave 1 had not picked up on, on that part. That's um, a quite a specialised area. So we see that as a, a very complementary and, and very helpful to the development of our program. Mm, okay. So th- th- there's definitely an openness there to, to sharing information. Yes. And, um, there has to be. Yeah. There has to be. For this to work, there yeah. needs to be openness. We need to be able to build on each other's experiences yeah. to um, create our, you know, the whole the national vision. Mm. How much of that has been driven by NIDA or the government versus just people getting on with the job? It needs to be driven at all levels. Yeah. We need to have that openness with that vision by NETA and and the government and then we need to have that spirit of um, that drive and, and getting on with um, with the model at that local area. We really need to build on relationships, local relationships and and for our particular area, because we've got so many other providers, um, the it's it's extremely important that we can be open to the needs, the different communication needs of those different environments. Mm. So we are constantly working with these stakeholders and open to what their needs are, what their challenges are, from a technology perspective as well as a people perspective. Yeah. Now, you've got a deadline, July 2012, to yes. have a system that's up and running that you know patients can obviously sign in and, and begin using. What's your chances? What do you, how do you rate the, the progress and the ability of hitting the goal? Yes, and the difference there is that we have um, our personally controlled electronic health record will be a test and deployment site ahead of the national system. So it won't be the national system. That's where the learnings from our, our site will help the national system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our plan at this point in time is the engagement with general practice to get that that infrastructure ready, mm-hmm. the engagement with the community so that their identifiers are ready in place, um, and then to have our our test bed uh, electronic health record available for patients to agree to have their information shared, and our use cases are being built up at the same time so that the after hours care service the residential aged care services are ready to also communicate. So we, um, we do have the vision to, uh, and the drive to actually achieve our aspect of the personally controlled electronic health record by July 2012, ready for the national system. Okay. Well, best of luck with it all. I'm sure you will hit your goals by the sound of the, the detail that's going on there. So, Marianne Shearer, thanks for joining us on eHealthSpace.org. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us on Healthy Conversations. Check us out on the web where you can also join the conversation or leave a comment on today's show. You'll find us at ehealthspace.org slash multimedia 
or search for eHealth Space on the iTunes Store. 